our Father, who art not here, which is just like my earthly dad. So I don't know how you expect me to relate to you. Hallowed be thy name. How can a name be holy? Because I don't have any part of me that's holy. At all. Thy kingdom, when will it come? A kingdom on earth? What's that going to look like? Thy will be done. As long as it's not too far from my own will. Give us this day our daily bread. And if you could throw in breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And a side of a really nice retirement plan, that'd be great. Forgive us our debts. Our trespasses. Our endless shortcomings. As we hold on to petty grudges against those who have ticked us off. Lead us not into temptation. Because, as you know, I can find that easily enough on my own. Deliver us from evil. And minor inconveniences. As well as the never-ending crud I have to deal with on a daily basis. For thine is the kingdom and the power. You have the power to do whatever you want. So please, Help me. And the glory. What's that like to be glorious? Forever and ever. Another thing I can't get my head around. Amen. 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 You know, one of the greatest gifts we have that God has given us is prayer, yet so often I'm searching for words like that. I, I, I've been given a model for how to pray, but sometimes I, I don't have the, the passion for it. I don't have the, the inspiration for it. There's certain times, even though Jesus has modeled for us how to pray, I, I'm searching. And as we start this brand new year, perhaps as we come into this place, some of us are expert prayers in our minds, some of us have no need for prayer. Some of us are desperate to grow in prayer. Some of us don't even know what prayer is for, wondering, does God even answer prayers? What's the point of prayer? If God already knows what's going on, if He is even there, some of us ask, why do we even pray? Well, all these questions we're going to begin to tackle in this seven-week series. As we start this new year on this new Sunday, we're starting off a new series on prayer. And in fact, there's only one place in all of Scripture where somebody actually has the audacity to ask God Himself, how do we pray? And God answers. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, His disciples, the disciples of Jesus say, Lord, teach us how to pray, and Jesus actually responds. And so today we're going to take a look at that prayer. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to take a look at seven different types of prayers. We explore the various ways in which God has invited us to pray. In fact, we're going to find that you don't have to pray with your eyes closed or even in a church or on your knees. You don't have to pray using thou art and thines in language that you don't understand. In fact, God invites us to petition, to argue with Him. God invites us to negotiate, it seems, at times with Him. God invites us to pray sometimes without words. 
And so in these seven weeks, I'm, I'm going to tell you right here now, this is the first time I've ever done in 10 years as a pastor, the first time a series on prayer. Now, I say that not for you to walk out the room and say, okay, I guess he doesn't know what he's talking about, but just to say that I need to grow, I need to learn, I need to sit at the feet of Jesus as much as many of us to say, Lord, teach me how to pray. So I'm not pulling this out of the archive of sermons I've done in the past. I've had to go to Scripture. I've had to ask God, God, how on earth am I going to communicate this, this great gift that you have given us in prayer? And so I'm committed to be here the next seven weeks to learn along with many of you. And some of you, I, I imagine that in this new year, part of your New Year's resolution perhaps is to start coming to church. Some of you watching online are thinking, okay, I want to start getting more involved in church. I'm going to ask you to commit with me for these next seven weeks to grow, to learn, to ask God, how would you teach me? How would you infuse in me a healthier perspective on this great gift that we have? You see, prayer is saturated throughout all of Scripture. From Genesis through Revelation, we see prayer everywhere. In fact, you can see it all the way throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's really everywhere. Miracles happen because of prayer. The nation of Israel is freed from slavery because of prayer. Lives are changed. Nations are healed because of prayer. You see, Jesus was born in the midst of prayer. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Really, it was because of prayer that demons were cast out. The, the blind could see that because of prayer that the crippled could walk. Even Lazarus was raised from the dead because of prayer. You see, because of prayer, wine came out of water. Because of prayer, multitudes were fed from just a few loaves of bread and fish. In fact, Jesus prayed in the morning. He prayed in the day. He prayed throughout the entire night. Jesus prayed with his eyes open to heaven. In fact, I can make the case, and you can see throughout Scripture, that Jesus does nothing apart from being interacting with God, prayerfully in communion with God. In fact, in the worst night of his life, the dark night of the soul, in the garden of Gethsemane, the night he was betrayed, Jesus was praying. What was Jesus doing when he was killed? He was praying. In fact, the early church recognized how important prayer was that they devoted themselves daily to prayer. The Apostle Paul, one of the first leaders of the church, told us to pray without ceasing. We're told that our entire life should be saturated in prayer. In fact, prayer is a global phenomenon across every faith. In fact, there's certain studies that say that even atheists 30% of them have prayed at one time, and even 17% of atheists, people who don't believe in the existence of God, 70% pray regularly. What is this thing that we call prayer? It's fascinating. And again, there's only one time in all of Scripture where somebody has the audacity to ask God himself, how should we pray? And God answers. And so today we're going to turn to that prayer the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, the Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew 6. We're going to turn there right now. Of course, Luke has a version of this prayer as well, but today we're going to be in the Gospel according to Matthew. And as you turn there, I have to share with you that I am in no way an expert on prayer. I take it for granted. I misunderstand it. I, in many ways... And perhaps you can relate to this. 
in the midst of a problem, in the midst of need, I will try to solve it on my own. I will try to go to resources that I have. And when I come to the end of my rope, then I'll say, okay, I guess I better pray about this. It's so backwards. You see, if we really understand the power of prayer, the fact that we have access to the God of the universe, the most powerful being, and that He invites us to pray to Him, that He invites us to, to interact with Him, that He invites us to, to be in communion with Him, if we begin to understand that, and these seven weeks are just baby steps towards a life saturated in prayer, I think that it's going to change our lives. It's going to change how we see ourselves. It's going to change how we see our family and our friends and our situations. It will change everything. And as we start this new year, many of you are wanting to be off to a fresh start. I'm telling you, prayer is, has to be the foundation of all that we do if we want security and peace and joy and significance. But again, I said, you know, I'm no expert on prayer. In fact, I take it for granted, and as I said, you know, growing up, I, I, I've prayed the Lord's Prayer many, many times. In fact, I went to Catholic middle school and Catholic high school. It was a regular part of our gathering. We did it in class. We did it when we went to Mass. It was all the time, and we, we said it so often that I could, I could just say it without thinking. I could be half awake. I could be thinking about something else. It's almost like tying your shoes. You don't actively think about what you're doing or brushing your teeth or sometimes eating food. You're, you can think about something else. And for me growing up, the Lord's Prayer was just that. It was just something that you did. And I missed out on the power and the significance and the awe and the intimacy that Jesus models for us in this prayer. Martin Luther, a great leader of the church, said this about the Lord's Prayer. He says, how many pray the Lord's Prayer several thousand times in the course of the year? You know, the Our Father who art in heaven. He says, how many people pray that thousands of times? And yet, if they were to keep on doing that for a thousand years, they wouldn't even begin to taste it or to really even pray it. And then he says this. What a claim. He says this. In a word, the Lord's Prayer is the greatest martyr on earth. Everybody tortures it. Everybody abuses it. Everybody misuses it. Very few take comfort and joy in its proper use. And I imagine some of you are saying, ah, oh, the Lord's Prayer, come on. Give me something good from Ezekiel or Daniel or Revelation. I mean, I want the good stuff. I want the deep stuff. I want the rich stuff. And Jesus, in the only time ever of God being asked, how should we pray? This is his answer. So let's take a look at this prayer in Matthew 6. But before we get right into the actual prayer, there's two things that Jesus orients us to that we have to have in place before we actually pray. And if we get these two things wrong, then all of our prayers will be hollow. They'll be empty. It'll actually lead us to frustration. And the first is this. So in Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus begins to talk about two different types of people. He says this, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may see, be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, let's pause there. Now, Jesus is contrasting two different types of people. I want to be very clear. He's not saying, don't pray in public, only pray in private. He's not saying that. Because there's many times that Jesus prays in public. What he is saying is that there's two 
diametrically opposed types of people. There's people who use prayer to get things, and there's people that use prayer to simply get God. There's people who use prayer to, to be seen, to be looked at as righteous and holy. They love to be in front of people praying. They love to sound like they have it all together. They love to pray. And there was people, these hypocrites, these early leaders in the first century that loved to get in front of people and just to pray. And they wanted things. But there's certain people, Jesus says, that, that they can even, with no one around, in secret, in private, pray. Now, you see, there's nothing of use, of value, of doing something alone unless it's that thing that you love. So, for example, you think of, uh, you think of a car. I mean, we all grew up. We know those people who love to drive their nice cars so they can be seen by other people, right? I remember in high school, there was these guys that they'd get a new car and they'd kind of wait at the beginning of lunch till everybody came out of class. And then right when the most amount of people came out, they peeled out, they had the music blaring, whatever it was, you know, they'd love to be seen. And they'd park right up front so the people could see them. But there were some people, and maybe some of you here, and there's some that I know personally, who love cars so much that even in the middle of the night, when there's less people on the road, when there's nobody around, all they want to do is get into their car to shut that nice, heavy, expensive door to turn on, not even turn on the key anymore, to press that button, <laughs> right? And to just go for a drive, to feel the engine. And there's some people, you know, who, who love to drive down the street and to blare the music so that people will hear the music. There's some people who are willing to sit for hours and just listen to music for the sheer beauty of it, for the sheer love of it. You see, there's things that you have in your life that give you no inherent value, that don't increase your net worth, that don't raise your popularity, that you engage in simply because you love it. Whatever the thing is, maybe it's family, maybe it's music, maybe it's a sport, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's a car, maybe it's reading, whatever it is, there's certain things that you have in your life that you will wait in line for, that you will spend money on because you just want it. And Jesus says that is a clue, that is a key to understand how you have to have your heart's posture before you pray. You see, you don't use prayer to get things. You use prayer to simply get God. It's all about Him. It's all about a relationship with Him. It's all about coming to Him, being in communion with Him. And if you miss that, then all of your prayers will end up empty and hollow and filled with frustration. But then he goes on. Look at this in the next section here in verse 7. He talks about another contrast of two different types of people. He says this, When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, what Jesus is not saying is, now don't ask for things, because God already knows, so you don't even need to ask. No, what He's saying is that there's certain types of people. In the Greek word, some translations use the word babbling. They go on babbling in front of God, but it's this fervent prayer, this fervent petition. If any of you know kids who are like, Daddy, 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 Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. Hey, 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 hey. It's that kind of exhausting 
trying to get access to God through our many words or the right words or the right formula. Jesus says, don't be like that. You already have access to God. And you hear that word, that's the, the, the title for this sermon series. I want to be very clear from the beginning that prayer is not how we have access to God. It is not our abracadabra formula to get access to God. No, we have access to God because of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. And therefore, we have a backstage pass, an all-access pass to the God of the universe. And so now prayer is simply a conversation. It's continuing the conversation that God actually already started with you. How different is this imagery than just shouting out to God, hoping that He'll hear you? I saw the movie Unbroken while I was with my family in Texas over the break, and there's this scene where, where you know, Zamperini, he's out in the, in the ocean, and they're, and they're shooting flares up into the sky, hoping that this plane will see them to turn around and rescue them. And sometimes we think of prayer like that, that we're just shooting these flares, hopefully that God will notice. But no, 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 we've, we've already been rescued. We already have access. And so prayer is simply a conversation, is a response, is a continuing dialogue with the God of the universe who invites you to interact with Him. You know, it's one thing to sneak backstage and to, to gain the courage to talk to whoever it is that, you know, is the main performer. But it's one thing if, if that band member or, or that, that, that celebrity says, oh, hey, hey, come on back. Let's talk for a bit. You see, completely different perspective that gives you. You've been invited to come to the God of the universe to pray. And when you get these two things right, when prayer is about connecting with God, being in communion with God, going after Him, not the things that He provides, and responding to that invitation to come to Him, that sets you off in the right direction to pray. Okay, so why don't we dive into this passage. There's four things that I want us to take a look at, four things that if we understand this progression, again, this is not a magic formula. This is not a key to unlock something that all of a sudden God will then hear your prayers and give you what you want, but there is a posture, there's an attitude, there's a progression that Jesus teaches in the only time in Scripture where somebody asks the God of the universe, how do we pray? Now, some of you I know regularly take notes, some of you are not note takers, whether you want to saturate this in or if you want to know that actually in front of you there are pads of paper that are designed for you to take sermon notes. You don't have to bring a pen, you don't have to bring paper, they're actually there in front of you and you might want to write down these four things that we're going to walk through in the Lord's Prayer. This one that Martin Luther says is the greatest martyr on earth, that we torture it, we abuse it, we misunderstand it, we forget its power and the tremendous awe and intimacy that it gives us. So let's take a look at this progression. First, Jesus begins in verse 9. He answers. He gives us a master class on prayer. He says this, pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now let's pause there. He's not saying that this has to be the opening line of every prayer. He's not saying that this is how you have to start every prayer. He's not saying if your car is on fire that you have to say, um, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not like the State Farm commercial, like a great neighbor. You know, it's not, it's not that, okay? There's not this magic thing that's going to get you out of the situation. That's not what it is. What Jesus is teaching is completely contrary to our natural inclination on how we start our prayers. Jesus says that you have to first start by simply adoring God. 
Before you ask him anything, you've got to adore him. So if you can write that down, it starts with adore, A-D-O-R-E. It's to come to him to recognize how holy he is, how mighty he is, how wonderful he is, how majestic he is. Jesus says that we have to plunge our entire being into the greatness of God. We must explore the infinite riches that is his character, the person, the work of God who only has to speak in all of the cosmos come to existence. He's unrivaled in power. He's matchless in his wisdom. He's the source of all love, the source of all goodness, the source of all peace. God is holy. That's what it means when Jesus says, hallowed be thy name. You can put it in your own words, but it's simply this, that God, you are holy, that you are right, that you are just, that you alone are worthy of my worship. And many of us don't understand that. We don't know that. We don't even have the knowledge of that. We have to grow in this area. And so one of the ways in which I have grown to become a praying person, to pray the way that Jesus instructs me to pray, is that I've had to grow in my knowledge of this God who I'm supposed to adore. You see, if somebody gives me a present and I have no idea what it does, no idea what it is, the last thing I'm going to do is, is adore it or want to be around it or to use it. But if I begin to understand, if somebody teaches me, it's kind of like language. You don't learn language on your own in a vacuum. People have to immerse you in words. They have to teach you the knowledge of a language. And so every time we come to Scripture, every time we read in God's Word, every time we encounter who God is through the power and the wisdom and the truth of who God is revealed to be in Scripture, we actually grow in our knowledge of Him. You see, I said earlier that prayer is continuing a conversation that God has already started. You see, God has been speaking to us throughout all of eternity. Romans says that even through creation, God speaks to us. And God's written word, divinely inspired by God, is God communicating to us who He is, His nature, His power, His might, His holiness, His justice, His faithfulness. And if you don't know how to begin praying, if you want to grow in your prayer life, Open up the Bible. Begin to listen. Begin to read. Go to the Psalms, for example, which is the prayer book of the Bible, and begin to see who this God is. And as you grow in that knowledge of Him, then when you begin your prayers, you can actually adore Him for who He really is. You can actually say, God, as, you, as I see here in Scripture, that you are mighty, you are just, you're, you're righteous, that this thing that I'm going through, that, you, that you're bigger than all of that. Beloved, when you pray, you have to start with adoring God. Now, why do we need to do that? Why do we not just ask first and adore God later? Why adore first and then ask afterwards? Well, St. Augustine, this great leader of the early church from the fourth century, he said it this way. He said that, that many of us, in fact, all of us as humans naturally have disordered love. The things that we love in our life are actually out of order because ultimately we, made in the image of God, need to love God above everything else. And the problem is we don't love God before everything else. We love our comfort, our security. We love many, many things way before we love God. And so the problem then is this, that if we, let's say, love security, 
I like security. You like security. Security is a good thing. God says that He wants to give us security. But if we love security more than we love God, this is what happens. We chase after security. And the problem is, is the more we chase after security, actually the more insecure we get. The farther we actually get from the thing that we want to love so much. Because we're chasing after approval. We're chasing after building our finances. We're chasing after all these things. And actually, that actually makes us more insecure. You see, when we love security above God, then what happens when we lose our job? When the stock market tanks, when that person leaves you, when you have that reputation among your friends, what happens then in those moments? That's when you run to God. You say, God, give me security. You see, when security is our higher love, our higher value than God himself, ultimately we'll never have that security. So then the very nature of our prayers will be petitioning to God, asking God for God to give us the thing that we need, the thing that we want. But the problem is, is that we define security on our own terms. And rather than running to God to be our security, we want Him to provide for the security that we think will actually make us secure. But if He actually gave us the thing that we wanted, it'll actually lead us to more insecurity. It's like my three-year-old running up to me and he wants to play with this thing that's actually going to electrocute him. Like he wants it. He says, give it to me, give it to me. And I'm like, no, are you kidding me? How did you get that, right? You see, as a parent to a son, I have more knowledge than him, but he has this thing that he thinks he wants. He thinks he needs it. I tell him no. And of course, it's a meltdown. We are so the same way. I'm the same way with my heavenly father. I said, God, why don't you give me this? And he says, are you kidding me? That's not going to give you comfort. That's not going to give you security. That's not going to give you joy. That's not going to give you peace. And so St. Augustine says that when we start our prayer, as Jesus taught us, by adoring God, by recognizing Him for who He is, and we find our security in Him, that even if we lose our job, even if our spouse leaves us, even if all these things that the world would say, how are you not insecure in this moment? We have a security that the world can't take away because we have Christ. And that's not just a phrase that Christians use. For those of you that know what I'm talking about, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Who once you have this relationship with God that no matter what people say about you, no matter what happens in life, that you have this foundation that nobody can rip away from you, that doesn't change with the stock market, doesn't change with your health. It's something that actually gives you security and comfort and joy and peace. And every time you begin prayer, by adoring God, by actually coming to Scripture and learning about who He is and responding to that in adoration and worship, you are perpetuating a healthy perspective of having our first love be our first love, and that's God. We have classes that here that help us understand who God is. And when you actually take advantage of some of these classes, you actually grow in your knowledge of who this God is that alone is worthy of our worship. In fact, we have something available right after the service today. Right after this, in about 20 minutes, you can go to a class right there in the Discipleship Center. It's called Conversations with Jesus. And we can learn how in conversation with Jesus, we can grow in our prayer life. No matter what New Year's resolutions you have, if it's not bathed in prayer, if you're not going outside of yourself to ask for help, all of it's going to fall flat. And so Jesus says we've got to start a prayer adoring Him. Now, there's, there's not this thing that if we skip over adoring 
and ask for help. You know, if you're, if you're flying off of a bridge and, you know, driving because you turned right when you should have gone left and there's no guardrail and you cry out to God for help, he's not going to say, you didn't adore me first. It's not how it works. But there's this general pattern of your prayer life that if it begins with adoration, it reorients our heart to move on in prayer. Let's take a look at what Jesus says next. We begin with adoring God and then we move to this, to accepting God and the life that He has for us. You see, often if we get to adoring, we say, okay, I'm done adoring, now I want to ask. No, 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 there's actually still something left that we've got to do. Before we begin to ask, we have to accept. We first adore, then we accept. Before we even ask for God to provide, we say, thy will be done. Don't you love that? I don't. <laughs> I, mean, I, I want to ask first, and I say, oh, yeah, and by the way, you know, God, if this is your will, then, you know, make, you know, okay, or, or your will or whatever, but you know, I asked for it, right? No, no, no. Jesus says you've got to adore God, then you've got to accept, you've got to pray, thy will be done. You see, Jesus modeled this for us. In the garden, when he could have ran away, he prayed, thy will be done. Because Jesus not only taught us to pray, thy will be done, not only modeled for us to accept God's guidance and direction and protection and, and sustenance in our life, he modeled that for us. Because Jesus lived out, thy will be done, we have a relationship with God. We can gather here and worship with freedom. You see, the more we understand who God is, the more we understand that actually the things that He wants for us, the more the, that we understand the things that we actually really need are far greater than the things that we think we need. So every time we pray, God, Thy will be done. Before I even ask for what I need, I know that You know exactly what I need. I know in a moment I'm going to ask You for whatever my prayer requests are. I'm going to ask for it boldly and with confidence, but I know that even before I ask, You know what I need, even beyond the words that I can utter to You. So we adore, we accept, and then we ask. Jesus says, you've got to ask. You have because you don't ask. You've got to press into God. This isn't just a timid ask. Remember, you haven't snuck backstage, and you shouldn't be kind of, okay, do I... Do I talk to him or not? You know, if we were to sneak backstage at a U2 concert, you might say, man, Bono's right there. Do I, do I talk to him? Do I not talk to him? No, no, no. You've been invited in. God sits down with you and says, I want you to ask, and I want you to ask boldly. In fact, the word access for this series comes from Ephesians 3, where Paul says that because of Christ, we have access to God. So therefore, we can approach boldly and with confidence. You see, prayer doesn't give us access to God. We have access to God through Jesus Christ. So prayer then is what we do with that access, and we have to ask. We have to, we have to pray. Thy kingdom come is an ask. It's saying, God, your reign, your rule, the things that define who you are, I want that to be experienced here on earth. So I'm going to pray against injustice. I'm going to pray against hate and bitterness and discord. When you see things on the news, rather than say, ah, oh, this world is just, it's just falling apart, pray against that. Pray for God's kingdom to come, His peace to come, His joy to come, His forgiveness to come. You pray for humility here, for unity, for the marginalized to be taken care of and brought in. And Jesus goes on, He says, you know, you've, you've got to pray 
God, give us this day our daily bread. And that has imagery of the Old Testament in which the nation of Israel, though they were freed from slavery from Pharaoh, Moses was leading the promised land and, and they ran out of food. And so God began to provide for them daily this thing called manna, this sustenance, this gift from heaven. And the problem was, like many of us, we like to take our daily bread and, and kind of, you know, collect it so we can have it last for a week or a month or a year. And the problem was is they'd receive this thing that would fall from heaven. It would come down every day. They would, they would store it up. And anything beyond their daily needs, it would rot. It would mold. It would fester. It would be useless. And so when Jesus says that you've got to pray, asking God for your daily bread, he's saying that daily you need to come to God and ask for your daily needs, the needs in the moment, the needs as you step into that job interview, into that tough conversation, in the first day back on campus, as you're in the car on the freeway, as you're sitting down to a date with your spouse, as you're wondering when you're going to meet that person, in those moments, you've got to pray, God, give me my needs right now, and you ask for it passionately. And there's this imagery in Scripture of us banging on the doors of heaven, pursuing God relentlessly. God invites that. He invites us to passionately ask for these things boldly and with faith, but to ask for our daily needs. You see, often in income, we talk about our annual income, or we talk about how much we receive in a paycheck. The first century church understood none of that. You see, they were so generous in what they gave to care for the widows and the oppressed and the marginalized and the orphans. Scripture says that everyone gave so that no one had need. They were so generous, they had no leftover in savings, so therefore they had to pray, God, would you provide for my needs today? The writer of Proverbs 30 understands this so well. Listen to this prayer. How appropriate is it for us today in 2015? He says this, the one thing I ask, give me neither poverty nor riches. This is Proverbs 38 and 9, if you want to write that down. Phenomenal prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need, or I shall be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or I shall be poor and therefore steal and profane the name of my God. What a prayer. He says, don't make me so well off that I forget that God is the one that provides for me. Don't make me so well off that I don't have to rely on Him. Don't make me so well off that I don't need to pray anymore to ask Him for daily needs. Don't make me so well off that I think that I've got it all under control. He says, no, no, no. Give me just what I need. But don't make me so poor that I have to steal and kill and destroy and profane the Lord to break His commandments. What a prayer. What a model. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray for our daily needs. God is saying, ask, and it shall be given. But you see, if you ask before you adore, you ask for the wrong things. You ask for the things that you think you need, and then you cry out to God, God, why haven't you given this to me? And the majority of us hate prayer or think it's useless because we ask for things too small or too far off the mark for what God really wants us to have, wants us to really experience. And you see, when you adore, when you accept, when you ask God, it then sets us up for this final part, this four-part progression. 
that we finally say, God, I just want to adhere to the person you want me to be. We adore, we accept, we ask, then we adhere. Look at the end of this prayer. After verse 11 of give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. To adhere to who God wants us to be is to first, to live as forgiven people. And to live as forgiven people on a daily basis means that daily we are coming to God, we are confessing our brokenness, we are repenting, we're recognizing that the things that we thought would make us holy and right or would give us joy and satisfaction, that they so fall short from what God really wants for us, what He designed for us, what He desires for us. And so when we come to God and we ask God for forgiveness, in that moment we know with confidence that because of Christ we have been forgiven. So we can live as forgiven people. That lightens our step. It makes us humble. It doesn't make us self-righteous. We don't look down our nose at other people in brokenness and say, man, I would never do that. We say, I would totally do that, but thanks be to God that He forgives me. But also, because we pray, lead us not into temptation. We're daily coming to God saying, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this thing, in the midst of this hard circumstance, in the midst of this thing that you cannot solve on your own, God, will you be my anchor? Will you be my foundation? Will you lead me not to forget you or to forsake you or to say that you aren't good because this thing hasn't resolved the way I want to, but may you be the one that gives me hope and joy and satisfaction no matter what the circumstance is. What a model for prayer that Jesus teaches us, but then he lives it out. We see him throughout his life adoring God. We see him throughout his life accepting God's will for his life. We see him throughout his life asking God, petitioning, asking for this man to be raised from the dead, for the blind to see, for the crippled to walk, for for people to repent, to know that God is Lord, for the people to be healed, to experience hope and joy. And we see Jesus continually adhering to the type of person God wanted him to be. From the beginning to the end of his life, Jesus was a man who prayed. And I want to sit at his feet and learn to pray like he prayed. And so I'm asking that you would go on this journey with me and with us in this new year, that we wouldn't just be people that pray occasionally amidst other things, but that we would be praying people. One of the things that we have to help jumpstart this in the new year is a prayer initiative. Some of you might be hearing this for the first time, but as a church, I want us to cover all of 2015 in prayer. And there's a way, actually, after the service, you can sign up to be a part of this. Actually, as you walk outside in the outside lobby area, there's a huge calendar of a week. And you can sign up to pray for one hour time slot once a week for just 15 minutes. So let's say you choose Friday at 7 p.m. Let's say that works for you. Your commitment would be that every Friday in the 7 p.m. hour for 15 minutes that you would engage in prayer. Now, if you're like me, you need help. You need resources. You need to grow in those areas. Perhaps you even need people to pray for you to be able to pray those 15 minutes once a week. And so if you sign up for that, we're going to resource you. We're going to give you topics to pray for. We're going to help you adore God 
Again, this class right afterwards is a, just another step that will help us grow as praying people. If you're online watching right now, you can go to prayer.bellairpress.org to sign up for that. But like you, I need help to become a praying person. And so in all of our services, I've actually asked members of our prayer initiative team to pray for us, to pray for me. And so in a moment, I'm going to actually read through this Matthew 6 passage. We're going to read through it together. And then we're going to be prayed for right after this is done. So why don't we open those Bibles back up again. You've heard me talk about what is needed before we pray. You've heard me talk about the Lord's Prayer. But why don't we pray this together? This is Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Some of you might be used to the word trespasses. Some of you might be used to the word sin. It might throw you when you see the word debt. You might want to say other words after this, but let's just right here, just this Matthew version in the New Revised Standard Version. Let's read this together. So Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. Let's read this out loud together. Then we'll receive some prayers. We start this new year. Let's read together in verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This, my friends, is God's word. Father God, we are so grateful to you for the abundant blessings that you have given this church body, God. Thank you so much for um, the people that have committed their time to pray for this church that we all love so much, Lord. Thank you so much for your leading and guiding in what time slot you want them to have, God. I pray that during this year, the 2015, God, that we commit um, not only our time slot to you, but also extra abundant prayer to you, Father. We know that prayer is your greatest agent for change, God. And we thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you for that direct access to you, God, that we are frankly unworthy of. Lord, I ask for protection over this entire church body um, as we go through this year, Father. I pray for protection from spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental attacks, God. I thank you that we have the gift of your armor of God that we can put on daily, Lord, as we go through this prayer initiative, Father. And I pray most fervently um, that you um, teach us the discipline of prayer, God. Um, we know that as these weeks will drag on, perhaps the excitement of that one-hour time slot will seem more like an obligation, but God, we know that you will bless that sacrifice of time, God, because you are a God um, who wants to hear from us, who wants to hear our prayers, Lord. And we thank you so much for the blessings and the things you will do through this prayer time, and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. 